0: This is Hacker Public Radio, episode 3686, from Monday the 19th of September 2022. Today's show is entitled, Follow-up for HPR3675 Clarifications on the Path Traversal Bug. It is hosted by BINRC and is about 39 minutes long. It carries an explicit flag. The summary is, Installing a Plan 9 CPU+, Plus web server, Namaspace to the rescue, web app security models, and more. Hello, listeners. This is another episode of Hacker Public Radio. Um, I am elaborating uh, upon, iterating upon... Proving upon adding more details to my previous episode, the episode I recorded previously for Hacker Public Radio, which is HPR three six seven five, titled "Plan Nine: An Exercise in Futility." I initially thought about leaving a comment on that episode to clarify something I glossed over, but even in comments, I am very long-winded. Ken said, "You should just record a show. We don't need more essays in the comment section." And I thought, okay. I'll record a show. It is going to be longer than the comment, so that's what we get uh, when the database doesn't like very long and verbose comments. Uh, the database gets hours and hours and hours of audio. Uh, so to start off, the thing that I glossed over. So the thing that I glossed over was uh, sort of in, in an attempt to not record like eight hours of audio that some poor volunteer will have to listen to, some poor HPR janitor will have to listen to about something that not a whole lot of people care about. I went very quick and glossed over a lot of things, sort of giving a general idea for the sake of saving time, uh, whereas, you know, diving into each of these specific things could be hours of audio on its own. Uh, So the thing I glossed over was in the Plan 9 State of Security uh, section. I wasn't very specific when I was talking about the path traversal vulnerability in rc-httpd. So I said something along the lines of uh, path traversal was leveraged to uh, exploit a vulnerability in the authentication system. Uh, The word I skipped over there was the work authentication system, not necessarily the uh, file server or the actual auth authentication system. Um, this was an error on my part, but I've decided to record an entire episode sort of uh, dedicated to explaining this vulnerability and sort of walking listeners through uh, the consequences of path traversal, even when you are running on a, running your web server inside of a chroot or with private namespaces uh, or in a jail or a Docker container. Uh, So I will get into that in a second. Uh, Initially, I tried to leave a comment. Ken said it's too long, and now you guys have to listen to hours and hours of audio about Plan 9. So the structure of this episode is going to look something like... uh, And this is also an informative episode, not just a talking about, you know, there's some steps. You can do this yourself. Uh, So in order to get to the uh, vulnerability section, I'm going to walk you through installing a Plan 9 operating system specifically 9 front in the libvirt hypervisor uh, setting up a cpu server with rc httpd and work this is the configuration i run my servers on at least the ones i run plant 9 on and then i talk about the path traversal vulnerability uh, some other optionally bad configuration to options in the work content management system uh, talk about how private namespaces save the day and then closing. So maybe the title will be uh, uh, Plan 9 private namespaces saving the CPU server or something like that. I'll have to uh, think about it or maybe just spontaneously decide something when I upload the show like I usually do. So the first section is installing Plan 9 with libvert. I know typically I talk about BSD a lot, but really the one piece of uh, virtualization hypervisor software that I know really, really well is libvirt on uh, Red Hat, or I guess Red Hat variants. Uh, So I have some commands to install libvirt. I'm not going to read them out. Uh, virt-install commands are very long and verbose. So I install uh, the virtual machine and then I run virt-viewer. Uh, 9pwn, that's what I named the virtual machine because I'm going to be executing path-traversal vulnerabilities on it. And then a little trick I use to uh, make it easier to access my virtual machines uh, across localhost is adding the host name of the VM and its IP address to my slash etsy slash hosts file. Um, This makes it easier and it makes some things just work better. Uh, So how I do this, the command versh Dom if list uh, and then the name of the virtual machine, in my case, 9 and then I run an ARP, uh, ARP-E grep for the MAC address of the virtual machine, and then echo hostname uh, space IP address, and then append that to my etsy hosts file. The hostname in this case is Cerno, it's the default hostname on Ninefront, and then I proceed with a normal Plan 9 installation, Uh, This is well documented, so continue there. Uh, Refer to the documentation. Uh, The next step is to set up a CPU server with rc-httpd and work. Uh, I've written about configuring CPU servers in the past, I think. I I put it on my website. Uh, I mirrored it to my web server running Plan9 uh, that I've filled with Plan9-related things. I've, I've copied and pasted it here and modified it so it's a little bit more complete. And uh, coherent and cohesive because previously it was notes assembled from a lot of different things, uh, you know, many days apart, and they're broken and have typos, and you can't just run them. Um, for this, I'm using NineFront, uh, the NineFront fork of Plan 9. It has newer authentication protocols. Uh, I trust newer rather than older for connecting to remote systems. Uh, So how you build a CPU server? This is something you might want to do if you're interested in Plan 9 and you're kind of sick of running the uh, Spice client for your virtual machine's display because it doesn't really resize very well. Uh, So the first step is to add users to the file server. How we do this is we connect to the file server. We add our user called the example user, and then we add them to a few groups, sys, admin, and upos. Uh, that's just system user, admin user, and mail user. Um, So how you do this, the commands, uh, con-capital-C slash serve slash cwfs.cmd, new user, username, new user, sys plus username, new user, ADM plus username, new user, upos plus username. Uh, And then we're going to reboot. And when the boot prompts come up, uh, it'll ask you for which user you want to boot the system. Uh, Type the username that you inserted. Uh, for this new user. And now we have to configure the user's environment. On a Unix system, typically you would run a recursive copy command for slash etsy slash scale, uh, and then dump it to slash home slash new user, or your new user, whoever your new user is. Uh, on plan nine, you just run a script called slash sys lib slash new user. The next thing we need to do is configure headless booting. So in order to do this, we mount the boot partition with the command 9fs9fat, and then we edit the boot config. Uh, this file is at slash n slash 9fat slash plan9.ini. Um, what this looks like is setting service equals CPU and user equals your your new username. and And then you don't have to reboot yet. It's easier to not reboot yet. Uh, so that we'll save that file, um, exit so it doesn't get corrupted when <laughs> you reboot the system. Uh, the next thing to do is add host owner information to NVRAM. So all of this stuff with our new user, adding variables uh, that set you know, new user as our um, user, for example, in the boot configuration. This is because when you set these, the user variable, for example, it instructs plan 9 to use this user as the host owner. Uh, So on plan 9, a host owner is similar to a root user, but not really because it's kind of arbitrary who is the host owner of any given system. Uh, In this configuration, our host owner is kind of close to a root user. Uh, We also need to set up automatic booting. This means not having to enter a password into the machine at the physical keyboard every time we turn it on or reboot it. So we need to add the host owner's key to NVRAM. So the command for this, nvram equals slash dev slash sd capital F zero slash nvram auth slash wr key. And then you may or may not get errors. Uh, As long as you get an auth ID prompt, it will work just fine. Uh, So you enter your new username, uh, the auth domain. In my case, Cerno, that's the default host name. If you're running this on the internet, you would want to put a fully qualified domain name there. Uh, a sec store key, I typically don't put anything in there because I like automatic booting, uh, and then a password for this user. And then the next step is to configure an authentication server, authentication servers, let us connect over the network, and you get sort of an interactive session. So the commands for this auth slash auth slash change user, and then the username. Password, the password you just put in, um, and then you can pretty much just push enter for the rest until you return to a prompt. The last thing to do is configure the permission system. So slash lib slash ndb slash auth is a file uh, where your user is assigned permissions or uh, not allowed permission. It's kind. It allows users to execute commands as other users accept. It's kind of like sudo, I think. That's one way I think about it. It's kind of like sudo, but not really. So this configuration file Uh, we're going to append some lines to slash lib slash ndb slash auth. So the first line host ID is equal to our new username and then enter tab uid equals bang sys space uid equals bang adm uid equals star. So this allows our user to execute commands as uh, any user group except for the sys and admin group. Um, Then you reboot the system. If you're looking at these notes, um, uh, trying to follow these steps yourself, uh, the command prompt that says term and then a percent sign. That is, uh, you're, you're sitting at the actual machine, or for all intents and purposes, right? Uh, your SPICE client, for example, your VNC client to your hypervisor. Functionally, you're sitting at that machine. And uh, the next section, uh, a lot of the commands will start with CPU and a percent sign. This means you're connected over the network. So, what we're going to do after we re- reboot. Is make sure our setup works. We're going to use the drawterm command on uh, a Unix system, or if you have another Plan 9 system, you can use the rcpu command. Um, If you're using 9front, you have to use the 9front specific drawterm program. Uh, they have support for newer authentication protocols. So how you connect over the network with drawterm. Uh, I typically put on my plan nine stuff in slash opt on a Unix system, uh, slash opt slash nine, or even just slash opt, because that's what that directory is intended for. To put auxiliary programs and optional programs. So the command slash opt slash drawterm dash U our example username. Dash H is the host name of the server we're connecting to. Dash A is the authentication server. Uh, that we're connecting to. In our example, we installed a CPU server that runs everything except the terminal client. And then the last flag is dash R, and then I just do tilde slash. Uh, When you connect to a Plan 9 system over the network, your local file system is exported onto the Plan 9 system, and I don't typically like to uh, export my entire root file system, I'll either do uh, "-r", and then my entire home directory, or a specific directory, or an empty directory, or, or connect and only pass, uh, only export over the network the files I need. The next step is configuring rc-httpd. This is a part of the base system in 9 front. Uh, so, we need to make a file and edit it. This file is called slash rc slash bin slash rc dash httpd slash select handler. It's, it's a lot like an etsy httpd.conf on a Unix system, except it's all shell scripts. And uh, what this looks like is something like uh, hashbang bang bin rc uh, path info equals dollar location. And then we run a switch on the server name. So, case example.com set the file system root to slash sys slash dub 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 slash server name uh, exec static dash or dash index and then case star so everything else give a 503 error and then what we need to do is add a listener on port 80 uh, that will run rc httpd Uh, so how you do this is you run the command cp slash rc slash bin slash service slash bang tcp80 to slash rc slash bin slash service tcp80 and then the last step is to chmod plus x our select handler i kind of put those in the notes in the wrong order but when the file uh, when files without a bang exist and a leading bang exists in rc bin service uh, and you're running a cpu server configuration uh, these listeners are started at boot time Uh, and then you can reboot and test your server Hopefully it works. Uh, It can be a little bit fiddly, but that's what makes it so much fun. Um, The last step for setting up a web server uh, is uh, SSL certs. Uh, I don't ever give money to CA certs uh, or certificate authorities, the ones that charge money for them. I think it's a little bit of a racket and sort of anti-open internet in a sense that um, specific uh, companies can, can and have made it so that Anyone not using uh, certificates by you know the racket organization, Uh, it makes them look bad. You know when you go to a website with a self-signed certificate, I always click through it because I understand that you know the green lock doesn't mean anything. The crypto still works, especially if it's a small guy's site. Uh, You know if you go to your bank and you get uh, your banking website and you get you know an error message, I probably wouldn't proceed. But if it's you know just someone's blog, it's fine. so I, I use self-signed certs on systems that don't support Acme.sh. Uh, Acme.sh is a good way to get free SSL certs. Uh, they give you that fancy little green lock so your grandma can visit your website and not be afraid. So how you generate SSL certs on front? It's a series of commands. I will read them out. Um, Remfs-p cd slash temp auth slash t in single quotes service equals TLS role equals client owner equals star, close quote, and then an output redirect to a file called key. Then we chmod 600 the key, we copy key to slash sys slash lib slash tls slash key. We then run auth slash rsa2x509, open quote c equals us because that's the country I live in, cn equals the fully qualified domain name, close quotes slash sys slash lib slash tls slash key pipe auth slash pem and code cap in all caps certificate. Output redirect to slash sys slash lib slash tls slash cert. We then make a directory at slash config slash dollar sys name. This depends on what your fully qualified domain name is or your host name on your local virtual machine. We then run echo in quotes cat slash sys slash lib slash tls slash key. Uh, double greater than, so we're appending the output to slash mount slash factotum slash CTL, close quote. And then we add another append output redirect, so two greater than signs, to slash CFG slash sysname slash CPU start. And we're now going to add a listener uh, for port 443. Uh, So you go to slash RC slash bin slash service, create a file called TCP 443. And this listener looks something like hashbang bang bin rc exec tls serve dash c slash this slash lib slash tls serve dash l space slash this slash log https slash rc slash bin slash service tcp80 dollar star and then make it executable. So we're just wrapping. We're just wrapping all requests on 443 around the service on, on 80. And that is how you get SSL on your plan nine web server. So the next step, this is optional, um, is installing and configuring the work content management system. Uh, work is written in RC scripts, so it, it's for Plant 9. Uh, although you can run it on Unix, uh, I typically don't though. Um, so sort of the, uh, the process. Uh, of doing this uh, make a directory slash sys slash dub 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 uh, cd there you're gonna h h-get. hget on plant 9 is kind of like a, a curl command so you're gonna get that url so you know work.cat-v.org and then the download and then the tarball extract the tarball and then i typically move the work dash version number to a folder just called work uh, and then optionally you can run like a recursive chmod seven 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 I haven't found a way to make some of the modules work without doing this. I, I don't do this, but I also don't run those modules because I don't have a use for them. Just in practice, you know, fiddling about with it, I haven't found a way to do that. Don't do this, I beg you. Um, and then we're going to change directory to workslash sites, make a directory called you know, example.com, and then copy either dir, copy dircp, you know, default.cave.org, example.com, or, or move it. And the next step is to edit our our uh, web server configuration. So that's the one, that's the select handler at uh, slash rc slash bin slash rc dash httpd slash select handler. Uh, so what we're going to do is add a variable called work. So work equals slash sys slash dub slash work. Plant9 equals slash work depends on a variable called plant9. So for example, if you're running it under plant9 port, you have to specify where plant9 port is. In my case, that would be Uh, slash opt slash nine, Uh, probably slash bin, but I can't remember. Uh, Same thing, switch on the server name. Uh, case file filesystem root is equal to uh, $work, so the work variable we set slash sites slash server name, and then exec static dash or dash CGI, our work variable slash bin slash work dot RC. And then the default case is to error 503 and I test the website again. Work is kind of fiddly, but it's fun, and it's archaic, and uh, it's a fun thing to play. Now that all of the boilerplate is set up, uh, now that we have a system with a vulnerability, uh, I did all of this on an old release of Ninefront that still has the vulnerability. Uh, If you're going to run this uh, sort of as an exercise to recreate it, you will have to use an older release. Um, In current releases, the bug no longer exists, so the vulnerability is a path traversal vulnerability. So hypothetically, Uh, how would we get a list of work users who are admins using this path traversal vulnerability? Uh, So the command I use is curl http colon slash slash CERNO. Remember CERNO is the host name of my virtual machine. Uh, And then the path I request from the server is dot dot percent to F dot dot percent to F and then the path to where work stores its list of admin members. Now, now if you know anything about web application security, uh, you will know that dot dot percent to F is equivalent to dot dot slash %2f is an encoded forward slash character. So what else can we do with this? Well, Work stores its passwords for its uh, work users in plain text, so we can use pass Reversal to get the uh, login password for the work user. Um, this is for the content management system only. This login is a separate password entirely from the system authentication. Uh, so for example, if someone gets your WordPress password, they might be able to vandalize your website but not take down your system. Uh, that's, that's what it would look like if someone got your work password. Uh, so then I proceed, I, you know, I get my hypothetical user Pwn, who's an admin. I get my hypothetical uh, Pwn user's password, which is super secret. I then log in using the web interface. Another thing we can do is enumerate users with path traversal. So if you curl HTTP colon slash slash CERNO slash and then a bunch of dot dot percent to Fs um, enough to get to the top of the file system and then slash ADM slash users. Uh, The web server will give you a list of all of the users on the system. Uh, This is equivalent to uh, using path traversal to grab slash Etsy slash password file on a Unix system. Uh, And then as you know, Hypothetically, we have a web, uh, like a content management system, users login and password. We see that they're also a user on the system. Let's hope that they're not sharing passwords. In my example, I made them share passwords, so I log in. And really, what I, uh, my, my grand goal, right, the, the whole purpose of this entire exercise is to say, uh, when you have path traversal vulnerabilities and authentication vulnerabilities in your content management system, things can go south, especially if you have users who are sharing logins and passwords. Uh, so let's talk about how the path-reversal vulnerability works in code. So rc-httpd, it calls various handler scripts to decide what to do with the request. If we're running work, it's static-or-cgi. Um, it might be static, depending on the uh, server configuration. So I have uh, pasted the old uh, insecure version of these... Um, handler scripts, and I, because rc shell is kind of strange compared to like a born shell, I'm going to talk about them in pseudocode. So the static-or-cgi dash handler, the one that we specifically uh, called in our uh, server configuration, how the logic in that one works is if the requested file exists, call the CGI handler and pass the arguments. If the requested file does not exist in our document root, the static-serve handler. So the problem actually lies in the static-serve handler. So the logic for the static-serve handler uh, is, you know, step one, encode the full request path into a URL. If the URL points to a file out of star slash, the document root, error 503. If the URL is broken or malformed, Mm. exit. If the URL points to a file that doesn't exist or is unreadable, uh, error 503. And if you still haven't exited, just serve the file. The problem is that there's no sanitization. So the script checks for file if the file exists in the current directory, right? Does this file path exist in the document root? Um, But not before encoding the URL string. Uh, So in the script, they're using the URL encode command. Uh, URL encode command encodes and decodes HTML characters. Uh, So for example, if you echo a percent to F into the URL encode command, it will give you a forward slash. Uh, so this is kind of a trick about how paths work on Unix and Unix-like systems. So now I ask, does does the directory dot dot forward slash exist in star forward slash? The answer is yes, because dot dot is a directory contained inside of dot slash, and star slash dot dot slash is the current working directory. If you add another uh, dot dot slash, you are in the directory above the current working directory. Uh, So the issue is sanitization. Um, How did they fix it? They added a sanitizer. So they compared the encoded URL against an actual hypothetical file path and exit if there's a mismatch. Uh, This means any URLs with encoded characters uh, automatically error out. And now I am going to talk more about work, uh, the content management system with a vulnerability and talk about other bad configuration options. So a bad work configuration, although it might not lead to remote code execution or you know, executing commands as a user over the network, um, it can still lead to website defacement if your web server has a path traversal vulnerability. Um, so not rc httpd but hypothetically, if you were running work under something like Apache. Uh, or for example calling it from within the PHP process. Uh, So another thing I did here was modify the direct discretionary access control for slash sys slash dub 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 to allow work which is a child process of the web server to write to disk. Uh, So on plan 9, most of the listen processes run as the non-user and they're not allowed to write to disk unless you explicitly permit it with like a recursive chmod 777. I don't do this on my Plan 9 web server, I think running a chmod 777 on your document root uh, is the worst idea in the history of all time ever, and allowing any web server to write to disk uh, is a bad idea unless implemented very, very carefully. So for my test server, I enabled the dirder and blog modules, dir is like a wiki, but you can use it to edit any page. And uh, I sort of follow the logic of the type of admin who would run a recursive chmod 777 on, on var docs because, you know, that's what the WordPress installation guy told me, so I could have a cool, cool web interface and not have to use a command line to modify my website. So let's pretend that I'm this admin uh, and scrape the work configuration using the path traversal to see if the badman has these modules enabled. Um, So I scrape the configuration using path traversal, looks like the wiki module is enabled. Uh, The wiki editor group is the admin group. If you recall to the original logging into the web interface using these, you know, username and passwords, our pwn user had the group of admin. Uh, So I log into the interface and I change uh, the index page. Um, so let's modify, let's modify the index page to warn the admin as a funny joke. It's it's not a crime under the computer fraud and abuse act to vandalize web service. And it's totally not an inappropriate way to warn admins about a vulnerability. So I changed the web website to say security advisory, lol, this guy still hasn't figured out the dot dot percent to F trick. Um, I thought about how I might fix this. And I think that would be modifying work to support password hashing. It's not terribly difficult. I read through the, the scripts that make work work, and I haven't really put any effort into, um, writing code for them, but it would be as simple as when you create a new user, hash their password. And when a, uh, login is sent, uh, hash that password, a couple of lines and only two, two separate scripts. But because I don't use these modules and I use Work more so as a static site generator taped to uh, a CGI process rather than a content management system, I haven't done this yet. I think I might do it though in the future. And what this would what this means if you add password hashing is that if someone hypothetically gets a path traversal on your web server, uh, they don't get passwords, and then your your users who share passwords are not affected, and therefore people can't log in as maybe unprivileged users. So luckily enough, Plan 9 private namespace is right. Uh, The web server runs as the non-user and the non-user has its own namespace. So out of curiosity, I compared the host owner's namespace and the non-user's namespace. So if you remember the host owner is analogous to a root user. Uh, So I grab the namespace from the system console, uh, not from drawterm because drawterm pulls in a lot of different uh, Uh, binds and it's it's a lot larger than, you know, like I said, your local file system is exported to the server and also a lot of other things are pulled in. Uh, And then I pull the namespace from the listen command and then I run a Unix style diff to show the difference. I have the diff in here, but plan 9 is kind of strange and may or may not be hard to parse. So I sort of broke it down again. So the major difference between the host owner and the listen process is that the host owner has a lot more things bound to his namespace. So in the diff command, every line that starts with a plus is something the host owner has that the listen process does not. And everything with a minus is something that the listen process has that the host owner does not. So the things the host owner does have is access to PCI interfaces, APM power management, storage devices, real-time clock, and NVRAM, serial ports, USB, slash share global mount points, the keyboard, temp directories, and uh, various special files relating to services. So the listen process is fairly well isolated from the system Uh, and minimal system damage can be done by uh, taking over a process owned by the non-user. One thing that I do want to see though, is a web server that doesn't require slash bin to be mounted to the listen processes namespace or the non-users namespace Uh, because plan 9 uses static linking a single c binary or a single binary written in c could possibly be the only thing you have to pull into a namespace Uh, logic wise of course you would still need some of the networking things right and some of the uh, factotum things for example um in closing I think I've seen an argument made that the rc-httpd vulnerability was not a bug because namespaces are supposed to segregate users on the system. I I disagree on this point. I think namespaces are good, but security has to be a multi-layered thing. Relying on a single security feature to save your system means that you're relying on a single point of failure Uh, not failing. You know, a single linchpin taking down the whole system, I think. Uh, That's sort of a bad way to do things. Um, So as we all know, Chirrut escapes, namespace escapes, container escapes, and VM escapes are all things that we have to think about when writing software that touches the internet. Even though these are very unlikely things to happen, uh, it's still possible Right. The fact that, you know, hypervisor escapes are possible means we should be thinking about hypervisor escapes. The, the fact that namespace escapes or container escapes are possible means we should be thinking about namespace escapes and container escapes. I think uh, when writing things that touch the Internet, we have to consider all user input as dangerous, as potentially dangerous. And realize that all user input that becomes remote code execution as an unprivileged user will always result in privilege escalation, no matter how secure we think the operating system is. Uh, You know, every week there's a new uh, local privilege escalation vulnerability in your favorite operating system. You know, we see it more in Linux and Unixes, but I think that's because people are actually uh, poking at Linux and Unixes and not so much poking at plan nine for security, because it's kind of a, a research operating system, you know, to run this in production, but don't put anything valuable on a type of attitude. Uh, I think adding additional layers of security makes it harder for attackers to get into the system. So for example, when I write PHP, uh, PHP programs, I consider things in the following order. Number one is don't pass unnecessary resources into the document root via assembling spine mounts, or whatever. Number two, never ever ever use the system function in a context where user input will ever be passed to that function. That's a really easy way to avoid shell escapes. Uh, sanitize all user input depending on context. So if the PHP program is directly referencing files, uh, what I do is I make a whitelist of files and compare the request to the whitelist and if the request is not on the whitelist, I will redirect the user to back to the input form, and typically I won't even say, hey this input is bad. I try to be silent when there is an error, that way they can't really gather information about the system. And if the PHP process is connecting to a database, I use prepared statements, so Uh, Logic is always logic, and data is always data, and they're never treated otherwise. Uh, A fourth step I take, uh, fire up a Kali Linux VM and beat the server half to death. Uh, I typically run as many tools as I can uh, that are easy to use anyway to see if I have any of these types of vulnerabilities on my test server uh, for the code I wrote. And then the fifth step is sort of iterate upon my ignorance. Uh, What did I learn from beating my test server half to death, and how do I improve it? Uh, the sixth thing I do is double check the discretionary access control. Uh, the seventh thing I do is recheck the daemon configurations to make sure I'm not doing anything stupid or I didn't overlook something. And then my eighth step, my final step, is to rely on SE Linux or OpenBSD Cheroots uh, to save me when all else failed. Um, and then of course there are the other things like firewalls with whitelists and blacklisting entire IP address blocks. A uh, key base SSH authentication writing SSHD configurations that don't make it possible to enumerate users, rate limiters, request length limiters, so on and so forth. Uh, The way I think about security is that each layer of security is like a filter, and if you have enough layers of filters, it takes an unrealistic amount of force to push, for example, water through your layers of filters. And I think although no system is perfectly safe from three-letter agencies, uh, multiple layers of security make it a lot harder for drive-by attackers to just get into your system. Uh, an exercise you can do to sort of demonstrate the don't rely on a single security thing, you have to write good code uh, is intentionally write a PHP script that does path traversal and then run it on a system with SE Linux and try to coerce slash Etsy slash password out of the server. Uh, and if you started with PHP, try PHP FPM or vice versa. And I think in the end, you'll be surprised when even mandatory access control doesn't protect your system from badly written code. Uh, you know, it's there is a failsafe, but, you know, I think it really should be the last line of defense rather than the first. And I think even now, after spending almost a month and a half of, of time almost exclusively on Plan 9, I'm enjoying it a lot more than when I began and and even more than when I was using it in semi-regular Uh, month-long spurts in previous years. Uh, The purpose of research operating systems is to perform research, either about the design of the system or otherwise. So some of the questions uh, I I came up with when writing this, uh, the show notes were, uh, where would we be without private namespaces? How can I use this idea in the real world? What would the world look like if we had real distributed computing instead of web browsers, which are the new dumb terminals? Is there a use case for this in the real world? What can we learn for single-layer security models? And what can we do to improve the system? I think Plan 9 is really perfect for this type of research because a lot of the components only made it to sort of a proof-of-concept stage. And there's a lot of work that uh, an individual user can do. There's a lot of low-hanging fruit that seems like it's good for uh, practice that you might not get on on a a more reliable system like, like a Linux or a BSD. I think some of the projects I've thought about over this last week when I was playing with Plan 9 uh, in the web server aspect is writing uh, an HTTPD in C and a work like uh, I guess how I would describe it is Static Site Generator taped to CGI that generates pages on the fly in C so that I can make a smaller namespace for the listener without pulling in slash bin uh, making it a lot harder to um, execute shell escapes but also, you know, that, that comes with the, of course, downside of now you have buffer overflows to worry about. I think that in, in order to improve ourselves on the systems we use, we have to be critical of ourselves and the systems we use, and even critical of the things we enjoy to improve them and learn something new. Uh, especially for software, there's no such thing as, you know, perfect software, or only the least bad software. And I think being able to, to criticize allows us to improve and, and sort of iterate upon things so that it fits our own use case. Really really, my final thought, you know, a criticism says, you know, this program or operating system or whatever sucks. And I think the appropriate response is, I know, help me fix it. A kind of a humorous response, you know, I know that the software is bad. Why aren't you hoping me fix it? I think that's the right attitude to have when it comes to sort of research operating systems and really any piece of software in general. Uh, Not a whole lot of links in this show. Uh, But hopefully it was entertaining, hopefully you learned something new, and hopefully maybe it was useful for you in some way. Um, uh, Thanks for listening to Hacker Public Radio. If you know a whole lot about research operating systems, or even a research operating system I failed to mention, uh, maybe something like Serenity OS, uh, or maybe a Minix. I would like to hear a show about that. I think that would be very interesting, starting a Hacker Public Radio research operating system series. Um, So again, thanks for listening to Hacker Public Radio. You have been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. Today's show was contributed by a HBR listener like yourself. If you ever thought of recording a podcast, then click on our contribute link to find out how easy it really is. Hosting for HBR has been kindly provided by an honesthost.com, the Internet Archive and rsync.net. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 International License.